G'day listeners, this episode is proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, subshq.com.au. Use code BENS15 at checkout to receive 15% off on your next purchase. G'day listeners and welcome back to another very exciting episode that I've been, or we've been building towards for a, a few weeks now. I'm joined by a good friend, a sort of peer, and all around just good bloke, owner of, co-family owner of Axiom. He is the co-owner of Zero W and a very well-renowned and respected Australian powerlifter, Matty Stenzel. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. Thank you. So good to be on this. <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Life is a little bit busy when you're um, doing so many things. No, I appreciate the flexibility, man. Thank you very much for being patient with me. Ah, mate, I was always excited to have it, so we'll make it work. But mate, how's things? How are we? Fantastic. Yeah, uh, sleep life. We're just talking about with a new one. Yeah, yeah, man. I had my last last two nights. The I think it was Tuesday. Had probably the worst night we've had. We were awake from eleven o'clock at night until just that was the day starting. Just the oh, way no. that it went. Yeah, she just needed cuddles the whole time. She's just over one, and um, she's teething really bad. So you just there for her. And after that, we kind of called it. We're like, we need a we need a new solution. So we got a new mattress, and it, life has been amazing for us both in the last two days. So. <laughs> And we're always hesitant to say we've turned a corner because you never know if there's another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I jinx it, right? Yeah. When, when do you reckon was the last time you had like you and Mads got like an eight-hour night sleep? Uh, she's she's fifteen months old, so mm, not in that whole time. Like we haven't had like without waking up because even if she wakes up, a good night for her is you know she'll wake up once in the night, and all you have to do is put the dummy in. Yeah. But then you're kind of like just awake because you're trying to be quiet and not wake her up with this dummy, you know, or, or make a noise. And so, yeah, I don't know. And then Maddie had a really rough pregnancy and she, I remember she would just wake up like screaming yeah. with really bad calf cramps and stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's probably, it's probably been 18 months, man. It's been, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you just recalibrate, you know, like yeah. waking up twice a night. We're like, hell yes. I'm ready for whatever is coming yeah. at me today. I feel amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've only woke up twice. Today's a good day. Yeah, and and like those wake ups might be twenty minutes at a time, but you just still feel so good compared to those <laughs> early days that every parent goes through, you know. Oh, and here's me complaining about my seven and a half because I woke up with a sore neck. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> just yeah, it's a you you you've got to try not to like lose empathy as a parent because people will say things like that. Yeah, but it's you do just recalibrate, and I think there are also you know these maybe these hormones that kind of activate in you, particularly for a mum in the early days. But I assume it continues where you're just like. I can operate on less sleep because yeah. I love this human being and I want to make sure she's good. And, you know, you wake up and you don't, you don't feel angry. Like you're getting to cuddle her. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, as long as you frame it in a nice way, <laughs> there's always bad days where you're like, okay, okay, okay. This is good. This is good. This is good. <laughs> we can make this work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a while. So we're stoked to be around this corner, however short the corner may be. <laughs> Just ride the wave while it's there. Don't yeah. complain about it. <laughs> Mate, all right, so I kind of want to jump into, um, and we had a bit of a little preamble just before off camera. You're someone that I see in a realm that people don't quite comprehend, and that is that you are busy, but you are succeeding in realms that I would say you're, you're succeeding in what you do. And that's kind of what this podcast is really all about to me is like, yeah, we, we talk about you know nutrition, psychology, training, all the sort of nitty gritty fun stuff. But in the aspect of where I think we're going to go is how well you're succeeding, how all the things that you guys have going on and the fact that you're still juggling a new family. And I think that's a, a turning point for a lot of people where we see, you know, 
that's the end of the road. Or if you will, it's like, well, you know, now I've got my family and I've got the white picket fence. That's it. That's, you know, my next 60 years are sorted. I don't see life that way. And I think unfortunately a lot of people do. So my, my, I guess, point of the conversation here is going to be getting to know Maddie and how we got to this point and the fact that you're still kicking ass and there's plans to, you know, keep putting big lifts up and keep training and keep doing these things and run and take care of your family. Like that to me is just something I think a lot of people, I don't know, not so much throw away, but they, they definitely, I guess, look at it and go, well, family's here now, that's it. And I think there's a lot more to life after that. And you're a living example that those things can still coexist. It's just a matter of, like you said, reframing, redirecting, pushing yourself, working as a team. So I think there's a very good chat here for a lot of people to understand kind of how it works. Yeah, man, it's a pretty dynamic kind of thing to go through because you do have days where you're like, all I want to do is be a dad. You know, everything's subtracting from from that. If I have to train, that's potentially, I'm not going to be there if she goes to bed early and I might mm -hmm. not see her for, for that whole day. Um, but I was saying to somebody yesterday, like having a little kid, it's given meaning to everything so much more meaning where now I'm like, okay, well, we want to sort out our own, you know, psychology and how we're operating together as parents, because we want her to see that parents do that. You know, they're mm -hmm. the kind of parents are, you're not just a fixed person. You're not just going to like keep on clashing again and again, you're going to sort your things out and, mm -hmm. and grow. And I want her to see that. And I want her to see that people, you know, as a parent, you go through a tough time, you can keep on achieving things she doesn't get it now but one day she's going to understand that you know we're still trying to be people as well yeah i don't want her to ever think that we gave up on stuff yeah so even though yeah i love doing what i'm doing it's actually given new meaning to it where yeah. now I'm, I'm doing stuff for me for her yes in a way, you know yeah it, it ends up giving i guess like uh well at certain points in time we, and we sort of had these conversations before in certain points of time we have different values and points in life there's things that we value and things that we reflect on and things that we, that we desire that, you know, those values are quite different across different periods of our, of our lifespan. And obviously like once you start to have a kid, and I can't speak on this from experience, but more so understanding developmental psych and, and that sort of thing. You're obviously now reframing as to why you love those things that you do, the value behind them or the values that you have towards them are quite different. So, you know, who Maddie was as a powerlifter before the family came along, who you were as a powerlifter or a business operator before the family came along who you were as a powerlifter before the business came along. Suddenly all these things have different means of values, different priorities in the hierarchy of your day because there's so many things happening, right? So it ends up being, um, you know, like you said, it kind of reframes things a little bit and gives you like a different perspective as to why you're doing it, which I can't, which I, can, I guess for some people is lost. But like, you know, like you said yourself, you're, you're doing those things now for you, for her. And I guess that becomes such a powerful point that, a lot of people think, like you said, you know, that, well, there's family now. It's kind of, that's it. We're, we're good. That's, you know, the, the dream is here and that's it. Um, but like you said, you know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to finish up here. We're not trying to quit things or stop just because there's a family, the family should continue to grow. Man. I just, I feel like it just has to, you, you, even we have moments where we sink into, yeah, right now, like our daughter really needs us to be super present. And there's been times when, you know, when she just straight up wasn't sleeping at all. And it was like, mm -hmm we were all in on just being present for her and, and and taking care of our the inside the house stuff and making sure life was pretty just smooth. And you scale back to like the minimum functionality, which the first thing to drop out is usually, you know, your own food. Like she was eating like risotto with salmon and stuff and we're eating bloody, I don't know, like tuna and rice, you know, she's <laughs> having, that sounds much the same, but she's having these amazing cooked dinners and we're eating like nothing, you know? <laughs> and so you sacrifice your own self um, 
and then times, you know, you, you start to feel like, okay, this is like, this can't be right. This isn't like, I'm not feeling very healthy. I'm not feeling very good. And you, you realize that you're not your best self for her if you're not taking care of those things. So you've really, you've got to keep operating. Parenthood asks so much more of you mm-hmm. than just taking care of this kid. You've got to take care of yourself um, so that you can do that job well. And I really look at my wife with that, Maddie, and she, um, she's incredible with that, just making sure she takes care of herself. It's a habit for me to just throw things away. And mm-hmm. I went through that phase where I just didn't really do anything else except for um, just the minimum, you know? Yeah. And I was pretty down. It took me a while to realize like, oh, I'm really missing out on some of these things that actually make me feel like who I am. But Maddie's always at least pushing for me to be, yeah, to do that. And, and you know, naturally I think she, we all put ourselves last, but she's really good at, at recognizing for herself. No, no, I have needs as well. And I need to yeah. make sure I, you know, even if it's just put a tan on or something like that, feel a little bit human so she can keep on performing as a parent and, you know, in business and everything. I guess it's kind of like the, the, well, it's not even an analogy. It's an actual fact, right? When we, when you're on a plane, if there's something goes wrong, you're told to put your air mask on first, then help other people. Yeah. Premise, right. Uh, it feel like that's exactly what it is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So let's like, I know we're going to come back to that part of the chat, but I want to touch back a little bit further because the, the Maddie that I first met is a power lifter. He's putting up some big fuck off numbers. So let's go into, I guess, like a, not a quick prelude, if you will, but Maddie getting into powerlifting and started to become that side of a person. Like, were you always into training, heavy lifting? Were you more of a bodybuilder first? Did you lead to powerlifting? How did well, you get started there and the numbers you got? Well, when I, when I first started, I was about 14, I think. Um, I was going through a tough time at school. And like, looking back, um, looking back, I was a pretty angry kid. I was getting in fights. I was getting suspended. And um, I just, I could not control my emotions. And a lot of it in retrospect came back to, I had really bad gynecomastia as a kid. Yeah. Um, which I assume like a lot of people might know what that is who are in the bodybuilding world. Yeah. Um, but it was just a pubertal gynecomastia on one side. And I was, mm-hmm. I lived in a beach town, I lived in Lennox Head and I could never go and do stuff everyone else wanted to do. I just felt super self-conscious. And so mm-hmm. I was just really emotional and I just didn't know how to process it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was just getting in fights and trying to, I guess, like preemptively attack anyone who might make me feel shitty. Because my parents were like, you need an outlet for sure. Um, And we found this bloke who, well, my parents did, they set it up. Um, He was a cleaner. His name was Ron. He was a cleaner at the shopping center where my parents had a business. And he ran a powerlifting gym right near my school. And he basically trained me like one-on-one for like all of high school um, just for free. It was like five bucks a week to go there. He just took care of me. And, you know, this is a gym where I was too nervous to go into a regular gym because everyone's there to look good. You know, there's guys taking their shirts off and yep. I, I felt I was a chubby little kid with with mm-hmm. with Kino. And I just felt terrible. And in this gym, these were like old powerlifters who just didn't care about their body. One guy had a massive hernia, um, yeah. everyone had big, big power bellies. Like no one cared. It was just about what can you lift? And we did it as a team. Yeah. In, in all my years there, no one ever asked about this like giant lump that I had. It was pretty severe on one side. Mm-hmm. And um, no one ever asked about it. And so I just felt really comfortable. And so I just, I actually sucked when I first started, I think. I guess I was 14. So I deadlifted. I remember um, going to the doctor because I had a bit of a sore hip. And I told this doctor that I deadlifted and squatted, squatted 90 and deadlifted 100. And I benched 77 because that's what I weighed at the time. Mm-hmm. Those are my first numbers. And um, then I just 
I guess there was no one around. The sport was so small at the time. So um, there was no way to ballpark myself to know, yeah. am I any good at this? And to be honest, that's probably why I kept going. So yeah. I didn't feel like I was crap at it. I was just like, oh, no one else is doing it. I guess I'm, I'll just run my own race. And time went on, the sport grew. And, and by the time the sport kind of got big, my training age was huge. Yeah. And um, so, um, yeah, just gradually progressed. And I moved to Brisbane uh, to train at a powerlifting gym. And from there, yeah, everything got a lot more serious because I was learning from people who were doing newer methods, you know, not because we were doing running Westside um, methods for a long time. And yeah. came up here and people were doing Russian Shaco programs and it was a whole other world. So of specificity rather yeah. than just this conjugate style training. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so my lifts got, eventually got up to before a uh, little one came along. My my best squat was three eighty. My best bench was two twelve. My best deadlift was uh, three forty. And those numbers for people listening that don't quite comprehend are fucking impressive. <laughs> they are some big fucking numbers. <laughs> they honestly feel outrageous to me now. Even you know, like it's been a little while, and I'm getting back into it. And I've done pretty good with deadlifts since, and and even benches coming back, but. Um, I keep thinking about unracking a 380 squat and I'm like, man, am I? Because I'm going to do a comp at the end of the year and, and hopefully be around there again. Yeah. I think that feels like a long way away, but that's <laughs> just it just gets there, you know? Right. So, because yeah, I saw you recently, uh, you were, I think your recent dead was a 340 or was it a 360? No, I hit a 380. Um, 380. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I was using straps, um, which in powerlifting you can't do. So we don't really li- like, uh, mention it as like an official lift don't humble yourself you just lifted a 380 deadlift that's i was man i was really really happy with that it's something i've always wanted to do is chase down like a big strap deadlift because grip is like my big weak point with deadlift and so i thought well i don't have any comps on the horizon i'm just going to lean into something fun and yeah i really i actually needed that to kind of reignite the fire like i don't have i I don't feel like i can do a whole comp right now that's a big thing to ask but i can go hard on this yeah and um, it's made me really feel like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm doing it for. This is fun as, like going for a big yeah. lift again. And it's made me kind of lock into a couple of comps at the end of the year. Good, good. It's good to hear. So we go back, um, you know, we're looking at you sort of going through and starting to really develop. I think you really touched on a big point here is that there was, you know, there was no one really to gauge on to decide whether you were good or bad. So I think a lot of times people start a craft. And they'll sort of look already, especially now in the age of Instagram, which back then probably wouldn't have been a big thing for you. In our day for rugby league, that definitely wasn't a big thing. There was no like, you know, there was no training reel footage. You didn't have like your your highlights posted on your Instagram every single day of your games and wins and tries. So it was very much like who else was in your position in your area? How was your team doing versus theirs? So it was like even rugby league days, it was obviously competitive as to positions, representation, all that sort of jazz. And I think that that leads to a lot of people pulling out when the skill gets a little bit harder in the, in the sense of skill, I guess there's that point in time where just being good isn't enough. And you've got to get to that point where you continue to push to hone your craft and get better and better. And some people will look at that and go, well, I just don't have that versus X person. So what's the point? And, you know, they'll pull out and stop for yourself. I guess not having that, I don't want to say competition, but not having that comparison has almost enabled you to keep going and not sort of hold yourself back or anchor yourself to, well, you know, my dad's only, 200 pounds when this guy's is 260 at the same age, you didn't really have that because that, I guess that social media presence, that other comparative essence isn't quite there. You're just able to go, well, I've got 202.5 this week. Well, next week I can get 25. I can get maybe 207. You know, yeah. I can microplate it and just gradually progress over time. Like 
that in a sense allowed you to, as you said, build that training age without a lot of interruption. Yeah, for sure, man. I think if I, especially at that time, like being a young kid and if mm. I was quite fragile, I think if I had have felt like what's, you know, I suck at this, you know, mm. a pretty low self-esteem at the, at the time, I think if I hadn't have had that kind of clear runway and, and no one around me trying to put pressure on me of, you know, the guys I was training with, they, they had no limits for me. They were, they were really great guys. They always made me feel like anything was possible. Mm-hmm. And I would look at these top people you see in like Power Magazine and stuff because seriously, there was no social back then really. Yeah. Um, and so you just look at the, yeah, these like hard copy magazines you would look up or look on Westside Barbell for like the newest comp results and you'd think, wow, that's incredible. And there's nothing in the middle. I can't really tell. Yeah. There's nothing local. There's no one even on a national level that I know who to compare to. But then it did change over and that, that social media time did come. And particularly when I moved to Brisbane and I was surrounded by people my age who were doing mm-hmm. it, my mindset changed from, okay, I'm like this big fish in a small pond to like, holy shit, these guys are freaking awesome at this. And I can probably do that too. If mm-hmm. I, well, I'm, I'm actually really, I've never really thought about this, but I'm glad that was my reaction Yeah, compared to, oh my God, like uh, suddenly I'm exposed to, this, these incredible people who are doing yeah. things that I couldn't do. So when I came to that competition, uh, I went to a competition in the sunny coast in 2012 and I moved to Brisbane maybe six weeks later mm-hmm. because this competition I'd never lost before. I'd only ever won. It was just me against me or maybe a couple of other young, young people. And I came third at this comp and it was really hard. And these guys were awesome. And they were doing things I didn't know about. They were wrapping knees differently. They were, had really specific techniques and stuff. And so I moved up like six weeks later because I was like, I got to be around this. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that was my reaction and that they were you know, happy to teach me the stuff they did because that took me up to the next level was being actually surrounded by friendly peers, not yeah. competition, just like we all want to get better together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah such a, that's such a, like an important point. I think that, you know, how you approach that loss is a determining factor. Like it's almost like a, you know, whether you're a competitive person, whether you're you know bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, whether you're in other sports, when you get to a point in time where eventually you're inevitably going to lose, and you know you might. For me, it was a season I was 14, and we lost every game in that season. I'd never lost like that before. I'd <laughs> gone from I'd gone from winning grand finals at 12, 13. I uh, was you know representative sides and stuff like that. I never got to. I never had that where I couldn't change the game, and I would spend hours talking to coaches, presidents of the clubs afterwards. I talked to our development team. How do I win? And why does this suck? And I would get to the point where I'm like, I like, I hate this. I can't change it. It's frustrating the fuck out of me. And I never really sat with it until like, you know, I've had a couple of other conversations um, previously to this one where I was, it clicked in my head just how much I didn't like losing and then how much I wanted to take control of that and change it. But from there, it led me to a point where I realized like, I never want that again. And I want to only continue to get better and put myself around better people that will make me better and ensure that, you know, yeah, you're going to lose games every now and then, but I'm never going to lose a whole season ever again. Yeah. And, you know, that ends up being the case. But, you know, I think there's a there's a, a lot of people where that situation drives them away or they throw in the towel, or they quit and go, oh, well, just rugby league isn't for me, powerlifting isn't for me, bodybuilding isn't for me. The, the most exciting part that I see in every single person that succeeds at life or has these, you know, high bouts of performance and success is the loss drives them to be better and they look at the bigger picture and can be, you know, almost be able to reframe it as a positive because they can go, well, I, like you said, I was a big fish in a small pond, but I'm only like, if you're, if you're 
only surrounded by people operating here and you're just above that winning, well, that's where you're going to stay. Suddenly you go to people that are operating here and you're like, oh, fuck, oh, you know, I've got to itch, itch this up a little bit further. You start to get better whether you win or lose. Like you just yeah. naturally have to get better. After that, though, after that change that happens where you start being exposed to people better than you, you you see them as a, you've, you've got a choice now where you can either see them as like a peer mm-hmm. and I want to, you know, get better with these people or even like, yeah, I want to beat them, but it's not keeping me up at night, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or you can just be, you got to try and find a way to continue to just take those choices and make those mm-hmm. decisions that lead to a better performance over time. You can get really, it's really easy to get focused on what other people are doing once you have been exposed to that. And I, I've I've drawn success from both of those pathways mm-hmm. before. I've been drawn, I've, I've done really well based on, I really want to beat this dude. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit corrosive, you know? Yes. Because it's, it's such an uncontrollable thing. You, you don't know what they're doing because they're, yep. they're working just as hard as you. Um, so I think the best results I've ever gotten came from a place of, I'm just going to make sure that when I get up there, there's no stones left unturned. Yeah. And because that's what I would have done anyway, had yeah. I been really focused on beating this person. But at least this way, I'm in control of all variables. You know, mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens now. I did what I could do. Um and I can be happy with my personal achievement and the chips land where they land. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely drawn drawn motivation from both of those before. And the one that I really want to stick with, and it's a little bit addictive to get onto the interpersonal thing. Like I want to beat this dude. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit addictive, but I found it like a little bit personally corrosive because you have all this extra energy output that you're doing, thinking about what somebody else might be doing. But yeah. that energy is literally wasted. Like it's doing yeah. nothing. It's not a productive way to spend your time or energy. Well, even if we look at the, like the, the motivational spectrum, it, it becomes like, yes, it's, you know, the love of competition, almost like if we look at intrinsic motivation, you can love something so much that you're doing that it becomes a part of it. Like that's what you do. That's why it's intrinsic. But once it's a love of competition or the sense of defeating someone else, then all of a sudden it's placed outside of you and it becomes an external factor that you have yeah. no control over. Like you said, that's just someone now that, you know, they're, what if they're not even considering you? You're spending all your time waking up and thinking about this person. Like, I've got to fucking beat this guy. I'm checking Instagram to see what their lifts are. That's just psyching you out before you even get into the meet or before you get on stage, before you get on the field. And this person might give two fucks about who you even are or what you're doing. And they're just doing their thing. And now all of a sudden you're exerting all this extra emotional energy and stretching this emotional mental bandwidth that you only have so much in a prep on someone who has no idea who you are. Or even if they do, you know, in, in sports like ours, there's not much that you can do anyway. It's not like in rugby league where you can fucking tackle them and, you know, all of a sudden they're out of the game and now the rest of your team can finish off the play or some shit like that. You know, there's there's not much outside of you just doing your numbers that you can do. And I think a lot of people get caught up with that. And that's where the negative sides, I guess, to our sports or interests kind of come up, if you will. Um, you know, in bodybuilding, it's a very similar premise. You see people all the time talk about like, you know, I'm going to beat this person. Then if they don't, it's judge's fault and this person's fault and politics and all this sort of shit. The reality is on the, on the objective criteria that they have, you subjectively just didn't fit it. Is yes. that a bad thing? You decide. You tell me. Like You get to decide. That's either a thing that you now have to get better and you can improve those weaknesses that the feedback they give you or it's everyone else's fault but yourself and fuck bodybuilding It's toxic and negative. That's yep. it. That's literally the only choices you really get. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the side of that that you want to be on is the one that doesn't care. The one that the one that's like, yeah, there's someone that wants to beat me and I just don't care what they're doing because if you if you're thinking about getting an edge, not caring is the edge. Yeah. Um because 
if somebody else is spending that time being concerned about what's going on, they're the out, it's not going to change their lifting provided they don't quit, but they very may, may well quit because of the stress of this external energy that they're yeah. exerting. So I think I, I definitely learned that one as well, which is, yeah, just don't, don't fall into that trap because it's uh it, it's, it feels like a great source of motivation, but it's, it's a little bit short lived, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of looked at it in the sense sometimes almost like roadmap, road, not roadmaps, like checkpoints sometimes. Like I've I've done things in ways that I know are very toxic. When I say it out loud to people, it's very, very neurotic. Like when I say to people, they look at me like there's something wrong mentally. But, you know, I'll have these moments where I literally will compare myself from that person's eyes and how they see me and therefore how I'm viewing myself through their lens and what they're picking apart as my weakness. And I go, I've got to fix that. So yeah. if I can see through their eyes how they're viewing my weaknesses, that's the stuff I've got to fix. And I can use that. But at the same time, like that's purely because I know my sport is such a, my appearance and my structure and my weaknesses are literally what's on display and judged versus, you know, rugby league where you can look like a bag of dicks. No one cares. As long as you know how to throw a 20 meter spiral and you can kick a ball and you can make a tackle, you know, those are the things that count. The objective measures in rugby league for talent are very different to your appearance. Whereas in, I guess in our interest, the the weakness and the talent is your appearance and your physical structure. So, yeah. you know, it kind of gets a bit that way for me. And I'll use that in some instances as like checkpoints. I've got, you know, has this come up against this person before? Has my body part improved or, or that sort of thing? But yeah, like you said, it's, it's never like a, I'm staying awake thinking about this person, thinking about me, that sort of shit. It's like, okay, on stage right now, if I were to look at me from that judge's perspective, against this next person, what are they seeing as my weakness has to come up? And yep. that's like, you start to use that because now it becomes my race. I go, you know, in the future, I need to work on my shoulder cap. I need to work on my quad sweep. I need to work on my back thickness because that's in my head what the judge is seeing versus me against someone else. Yeah, that's that's a lot That's a lot of a, a healthy way to, to, to turn that around because, yeah, you that person's <laughs> going to be looking at you and thinking about, yeah, the weaknesses you've got. If you can internalize that, but that's the, that's the trick is like, how do I bring my locus of control back, you know, to things, factors I can control. Yeah, exactly um, right. Yeah. But uh, so moving, moving from there, you, you're dominating powerlifting. What, what was your, like, have you done pro rule? Yeah, I've done pro rule a few yeah, times. Pro-roll. Yeah. How'd you go there? What, what is the, what is the pinnacle that you've reached where you're like, I'm actually pretty good at this? Um, I think the, well, the best comp I've ever done was was not. It was just actually a local meet in Brisbane. I did it right before, um, right before um, Maddie got pregnant, mm-hmm. and that was six months after Pro Raw Eleven, which was the last one they had at the actual Arnold's Festival. Yeah, yeah. And I came, I came second there, but it was super close. I, I just missed my last deadlift on grip, mm-hmm. um, but I had an awesome comp. Hit, hit massive PBs. I was feeling so good after that and i think that that was definitely my like happiest moment because there was just so many people around i did i hit i did everything right i didn't miss any lifts except that very last one um my prep was perfect uh, except for i tore my calves um from wraps yeah right um, which is a thing that can happen but you just have to kind of keep going sucks i love how that's the definition of a perfect prep for a powerlifter oh it's a perfect prep but you know i tore these things bodybuilding that we probably wouldn't call that a perfect prep yeah, look, it's not good, man. Like my calves felt like wood. They were so hard and swollen, but you just, and they hurt. Like putting those knee wraps on, we do them pretty tight to yeah. get some rebound out of them and I could hurt, but um, you just kind of dig deep. And those last few weeks are always hard. You're just like, yeah. you've been in wraps. There's been this 
tightness, this constriction around your leg for 12 weeks, 15 weeks now, and you just got to keep going. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it just creates this inflammation over time. And um, so, but that was where I was like, yep, I, I even I even succeeded to hit all my squats, even though my calves hurt. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I got all my benches and then I got my first two deadlifts and I was coming into the last one. And I was like, oh, I've got this. I missed it. But I made weight perfect. It was just all my friends and family were there. It was just really good. Yeah. It was a really peak, peak moment. Thousands of people watching. Um, and then, and then, yeah, hit a bit of better comp later on in Brisbane. Um, but that one just meant a little bit less to me because we just being in front of all those people at the Arnold's just so cool. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those, it was a, um, so I did the, I did the 2019 Arnold's and like, though I look like, look shit. It's very bad. I was in my first ever season. So you're expecting to look way worse than you do as you progress. This is the but same like, one, by the way, this is, that was the last one. Yeah. At the Arnold's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, because yeah. I'm pretty sure because I know. I remember, was that the one where um, Crozier was up against uh, what's his name Seb? Was that the well? One? That was that's basically like a uh, forever battle between them. Think. It happened yeah, again okay. and again. But but that was the one. William uh, Will pulled 400 that day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that because like I was it was the first time I've been around exposed with like I was with Dean Dalton and all that sort of stuff, and then like obviously D- uh, Dean's crew was all around there with the powerlifters and Will and stuff, and I'm like seeing these numbers. I'm like, fuck, my back is so broken these days. With, like. <laughs> I just can't do that, but fuck, I wish I could. (laughs) And it was just such an impressive numbers. But like you said, that that experience to me was like, it wasn't even my my peak performance. Like I've gone on obviously to, you know, win an IFBB gold in my division, which is cool. But like, that was always a goal for me. I said it when I first got into bodybuilding, I'm like, within the next five years, I have to be on the Arnold stage. And you get up there and you see, and it's like, you know, Steve Weinberg was in the judging panel, who's like the pro head judge in like the New York Pro and the Olympia and stuff like that. He's in there, like the front judging panel. I'm like, this is fucking sick. Like in front of yeah. all these people and, you know, being in this, this situation where thousands of people have paid money to come and watch this. And we're like, you know, even across our sports, I guess you're the 1% of the population that can do what we do. And like that to me, it was like, yeah. that's fucking unreal. It is weird. It's weird to be up there and you've got people who, all these people who are watching, they're all athletic and fitness related people coming to the Arnold yeah. Sports Festival. And I guess you, because you always surround yourself with people who are doing what you're doing, sometimes you can just forget like yeah. that what you're doing is even good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's been times like, you know, I get there and people were watching us warm up and, and they were kind of like, wow, at, at the, the warm up weights that people were doing. And I was like, fire up. It just gives you some perspective that yeah. when you are totally immersed in these worlds, yeah. you can just forget, actually, this is, there, there is a reason this feels hard because it fucking is. Yeah. It's really hard and it's a rare thing to be able to like commit to this stuff. Hence why there's only 15 people doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dolly has this conversation every time he has a show uh, when he gives the pre-warm up like speech and it's basically like for every one person that's here, 10 pulled out. And it's yeah. because, you know, when you really think about it, regardless of the, of the hobby, once you get to that extremity level, there is only a certain percentage of people that can finish it off. We all know how to diet. We all know how to train. We all know how to how to um, you know get lean or lift heavier numbers. But the emotional and mental toll over time, like to really perform consistently every single day, where your friends are going out drinking and partying and socializing, and your parents saying, "Hey, just have this dinner with us on Sunday night," all those little things that start to add up that would have thrown you off track. You're choosing not to do those things, and that takes its toll over a period of time. Where you know, kind of, I guess the point he's making: a lot of people can't do that. They can diet for six weeks or they're 75 hard. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, let's get back on the beers. And yep. you know, for us to do it 365 and then really dial it even further for a prep is unheard of for most people. But like you said, you know, we're in these, we're in these crowds, I guess, where all these worlds where it's so normal 
that you don't realize the extremity of it? I think learning how not to quit is the number one thing with mm-hmm. with longevity, which and and powerlifting and bodybuilding are longevity sports. You don't just do one mm-hmm. prep and do the best you've ever done and be like, cool, I peaked out. I'm never doing this again. Like your best one will always be your last one. Yeah. Most likely. Yep. Um, you know, unless you're starting to go into masters and stuff, but your if you do another one, you will have improved on that. Yeah. Inevitably. But so quitting is the only reason that you will eventually, you know, get yep. worse. So you've got to make it a somehow make it a lifestyle that's in, that's enjoyable, that's sustainable, that um that that isn't robbing you of your energy, you know, it actually brings yeah. you something. And I think that that's kind of again tying back into that motivational side of it. If as long as you can be coming from a place that's growing you, not 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 feeling like it's destroying you, you know, you're not yeah. feeling like emotionally, yeah, destroyed from from all the thoughts and all the the you know, you're up at night looking at a video of something again and again mm-hmm. and again. You're like, what could I have done better? That's stopping you sleeping. Yeah. You'll eventually, it, it takes a toll. These things yeah. take a toll and, and you'll you'll quit. And quitting is why you won't ever ma- achieve what you were ultimately going to. Um, It's cool that he brought that up and brings it up every time because it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's honestly like his, um, I don't want to say his catchphrase, but pretty much every prep I've been backstage and every, every time I've coached someone backstage, I've heard that exact sentence. But it's a same, like it, it becomes repetitive because it's true every single time. Um, but, you know, like you said, there's, there's a point in time where, you know, some people just can't, they, they really just can't do it. And uh, it's why I push so many people off bodybuilding as much as, you know, everyone probably sees me harp on about it and talk about bodybuilding's positivity. I am so against so many people doing it because they do it for the wrong reason. That doesn't become love or internalized positivity. It just becomes this, I need to do it for X, Y, Z, Instagram photos and, you know, get on stage for this reason. And mums, dads, uncles, best friends said I was the leanest person you've ever seen. So I want to do it. And you have none of that internalized factor that's actually positive. Now, all of a sudden you feel like shit because you're lost and you know, your eating problems are terrible. And all of a sudden it's bodybuilding's fault and everyone's to blame for your loss. I just see so many people actually not benefit from it because they don't do it for the right reasons. But then the ones like, you know, like we said, where delayed gratification, longevity, prolonged goal setting, long distance goal setting is so beneficial and positive that it has impacts on your life regardless. Like it just, it just benefits your life. And that was kind of, I guess the point that's going to lead into my next point of the conversation is, is the people that I see succeeding with these benefits of these sports, I'll also see them do well in things like business or self endeavors or like their personal life outside of that. And I guess that's where we come into, into Axiom is that, you know, the, the, the skills and I guess the traits required to succeed at powerlifting or bodybuilding I see just as as useful and required or necessary in business. And you guys have arguably one of the most reputable remedial massage clinics in Queensland. Very few that I've heard other people in different states talk about. So arguably Australia is coming up to be. You know, I've had people that don't even know that I knew you. They're like, oh, you should go see these guys at Axiom. I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? I'm like, what? But like people message me like, oh, have you trained at the Zero W? Like these guys at Axiom? And I'm like, huh? I mean, it's Matt. Awesome. Yes, I've been there. What do you mean? But like, have people that don't even know that I know you recommend to go see you from different states. They're like, oh, you got to sort back. Like, why don't you go see these guys? I'm like, I, I do. What do you mean? Like, oh, I, see, so cool. I see them almost weekly. But that is like that essence of, I guess, those traits, those skills that you have in, in your powerlifting career have crossed over now to your business career. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, um, I definitely think the most crossover that I've gotten is like for my for my own self like the the willingness to just do a lot like i know that getting better takes time 
And so when I first started, I, I was like, I really felt like I sucked. You know, you finish a course, a PT course, and you're like, man, okay, so I'm legally allowed to do this, but I suck. Mm-hmm. And so you just, uh, in, again, in retrospect, I think I did the same thing as I did with, with lifting, which was I searched out for mentors and I mm-hmm. I practiced and I was lucky enough to find some who were really, really willing to share skills. And then I got confident enough to, because you need to be good enough to attract people who are going to let you get better, you know, yes. with this kind of thing. Like if you're going to, you can't just say, hey, let me just do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. You have to already be, you know, has to be enough efficacy to what you're doing that someone's going to say, yeah, that's, oh, well, let's do it. And so I um, was really lucky to have mentors and I guess I searched for them, but I was really lucky people took me on mm-hmm. and then, you know, just following up doing and being, being hungry for more knowledge with it, because coming from a lifting perspective, I, I got into all this stuff with um, sports massage and, and treatment because I had problems, you know, inevitably yeah. when you train, you, you do enough of the same thing and you're going to end up with some kind of repetitive strain type problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it just is how it is. Um, even if you do everything perfectly, things are going to occasionally get a little bit funky and you want to be feeling better than that. And so, yeah, I just wanted to basically figure out why I was always hurting. And so that took me down this whole road. And and then after that, I was like, oh man, there's more I can be learning. Like I could, Mm -hmm. you can solve a lot of problems with this stuff. And so I just got super hungry for answers and yeah. Yeah. And then lucky enough to find people around me, including my brother who's willing to come work with me. Yeah, man, that's a, it, it's such a, relative sorry relevant point or a relative concept to continually to want to seek to be better it doesn't matter what you're in or what you're doing but being able to continually seek progress and development and understand that you potentially suck whereas i think yeah. a, a lot of people will egotistically think like you know like you said you know you finish pt cert four and you're like i'm gonna go coach my first client pal if there's an elite athlete like I remember for ages when I did my first PT course, like I went straight on to do my uh, ASCA level one. I went and did like my business course. Like I did all this stuff where I'm like, I know who I want to work with. And these, these, these elite people and these elite lifters. And I worked at a gym that contained mostly a demographic of like generalized populations of, you know, 20 to 40 year olds. And I had all these like periodized, uh, mesocycled percentage yeah. number based, like spreadsheets that I made. And I'm like, these are fucking awesome. I'm going to use these. Not one person used them. And I was like, no, they suck. It's 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 them that sucks, not me. And I was realizing like I just have I have none of that reputation. I have none of that backup evidence. I have none of that proof that it's like come to Ben for that coaching. And you know, I was just excitable and naive, but it was that point in time where I'm like, I need to get better. I need to learn more. I need to pick up more. I need to know more. I need to understand people better. You know, get to that point where, like I said, I'm continually just seek out mentors and want to improve. And the same thing just crossed over through my training. I guess. I'm not sure if it's, I would argue it is, but for people to grow up with some sort of competitive career or competitive uh, exposure, sports, powerlifting, rugby league, soccer, AFL, whatever it is, like you know, swimming, there's that essence, I guess, if you go about it the right way, that's going to carry you through the rest of your life where you realize that at a certain thing, when you start, you suck. And even if you have like natural talent, it's not that much. And yeah. at a certain point, honing craft has to become a priority in order to succeed and get better. Otherwise, you just stay the talented guy who never did anything. And I think that's such an important factor that a lot of people just don't understand is that that I guess it's I guess that's where it's maybe come from is that competitive nature at a young age where you realize very early on that I just have to work at this to be better. Some yep. people might have a, a better edge, but if I work at it, I can improve. And I'm finding that to be a similar concept with a lot of athletes I talk to or even business owners that were once athletes, the skill crosses over. 
that recognition that I sucked and I need to improve. I think physical training is the, and, and weightlifting is probably the most pure example of this because you, you, physical training shows you that you do suck and then you do something and then later on you don't suck anymore, whether it's yeah, like you're yeah. different or you, you've just gotten better. It's an inevitable process. It does work if you follow it, even a simple progression of just do a little bit more. Now, today I did five push-ups. tomorrow I'll do 10. Um, it just works. And you think, yeah. oh, man, I think for some people, not everybody, but it starts to tick over where you're like, oh, okay, so this works for my body. Can this work with other things? The kind of the first exposure to a growth mindset that most people have is in the gym. Yeah. Um, which is why I think there are so many PTs who turn into like motivational coaches and stuff. Yeah. Because they're like, oh man, I've got this feeling. I've, I've finally found this, um, this thing, this mindset that can, through my training, that can push me forward. And so they just want the world. Everyone wants to become quite evangelical about yeah. spreading the message of personal growth. And so you do see a lot of crossover from, yeah, the, PT world in straight into um into life coaching and stuff. Um, which is cool. But but yeah, it's it is definitely for me where where it all came from. This idea of I suck. Holy crap, I don't suck anymore. Yeah. I can, I can apply that to other stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I suck at getting clients from my business. Oh, now I don't suck at getting clients from my business. Yeah. I put in time to learn marketing and get results. Yep. Yeah, or even like you said it before, just for you meeting meeting clients where they were. Like if you had all these yeah. ex- extravagant spreadsheets, and you've got like a someone who's like, dude, I don't even know what benching is. Yeah, you're like, well, the the, the giant mesocycle thing is going to be a little bit. They'll be like, overwhelmed by that. You got to meet them where that where they are, and but you learn that through a process of self, uh, kind of just reading yourself and looking, actually having yeah. a hard look at what you're doing and 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 assessing. Yeah, and I think I think it's kind of led us to a point where you know. Like people, people are coming to matter now for that level of um, intensity and that like, you know, that I want to be that next level athlete or the next level client. And that's cool. But yeah, my first run at coaching is a more of a sole trader and a sole business and that sort of thing. But this is like seven or eight years ago now. That was, a, it was such a point in time where I'm like, I'm coming out of playing elite level of rugby league. I'm like, I want to be that guy. I have my car accident. Well, I can't play rugby league anymore. I want to coach other people like me. And, you know, you get to a point like that Dunning-Kruger kicks in where you're like, fuck, I know so much. And then you realize very quickly how little you know. And like, oh, it turns out all those YouTubes I was watching were just wrong. Like looking at psychoplasmic hypertrophy wasn't relevant. Looking at this wasn't relevant. Reading these bodybuilding.com forums like just wasn't relevant to the people I had. But, you know, now, like you said, you know, it's nearly a decade later and I'm able to go, oh, actually, I, I can, I guess the essence or the philosophy of where I coach is kind of, I can build this person to an elite, but I've got to meet them here. And, you know, without that experience first, I might not have thought that. But again, it's willing to say that I suck. I need every mentor I can get my hands on. I really appreciated something that you told me a few weeks ago, which was um, if you think about where you want to be, where you are now, where you want to be, look at the tasks, the daily things that might lead to that. As long as you do more than you don't do of those things, you will inevitably get to where you want to get. It's a matter of time. It just really resonated. I think that was a really good way of pointing out that, yeah, the, the inevitability of progress but you you need to actually look at what am i doing and what am i not doing um you'll arrive there if you're if you're patient with it and you can speed it up if you want to be but um yeah that came to my head just now and i can't remember why i brought that up i hope that was on target <laughs> that's good that's a good point because it's kind of it, it's it's in essence i guess i i combine like i guess this is a, a relevant point it's like i I take from several people when I read psych and I read philosophy and stuff, I take from a lot of people in how I coach other humans and try and run myself in that 
you know, something Peterson talked about was that you can have what you want as long as you are specific about it and actually state it. A lot of the time people will just, no, I want the white picket fence and I want the dog and the wife and that's all I want to do for the next 60 years and work for a job that I hate and they're miserable. And it's like, well, no, you don't. That's not what you wanted. If you actually state what it is you want, now you can deconstruct, decompartmentalize that process into checkpoints. And now you can actually look at the tasks required and you can go, as you said, as slow, as fast as you want. Am I taking these boxes today? Is that taking me towards my goal? If this choice is taking me away from my goal, do I want to make it? And that inevitably starts to lead you towards a, a route of momentum, I guess, that is going to take you to that development of skill or knowledge or passion or business or client reach, market, whatever it is that you're doing that you're trying to get better at, you know, from a business aspect, I guess, for Axiom or Matter, we're looking at, you know, how do I reach the right person I want to work with? How do I find the people that I want to work with so that they can find me? How do I, you know, learn marketing better? How do I learn strategy better? How do I coach the results that I want so that those people seek out me for those results? Yeah. Am I doing those things every single day? And what can I do to, you know, break that down? It just becomes a, like, almost like a GPS. Like it becomes a, a route that you just seek now and you go, well, am I staying on the route? Am I staying on the right road? Yep. Sweet. Keep going. It might yeah. be five Ks now. It might be a hundred Ks now. Obviously with like yourself and I guess where we go next is like you've now expanded from powerlifting and axiom. You've now got well a relationship and a wife. You've now, you're now looking at zero W and you're like, well, I can still reach these things. It's just that at certain points of life, the the effort you can give is different. Can I give a hundred percent to powerlifting now? Probably not. But mm. when I go in on powerlifting, I know now that you know, you've got the support network, you've got the systems in place, you've got Tommy, you've got your brother, you've got Mads. There are probably going to be people behind you that support you go, you have this 15 weeks to go all in on powerlifting when you're ready. We'll take care of the rest. And then when the time comes, it might be Maddie's turn to go all in on something. It might be Tim's turn. You're like, hey, I'll be there for you to do the same. Yeah. I think like, it's just a matter of owning and looking at that, that, that GPS, that map, if you will, that course or direction and going, you know, how fast can I go? it's inevitably going to happen for someone like yourself where you know it's going to happen. It's just at this point, I might have to back off and only cruise. The next chapter though, I can go fucking 150 Ks an hour. I'm on the, I'm on the autobahn. I'm sending it. And then after that point, it might be a little bit of a back off again because you know, there's ebbs and flows in life, but as long as you know where you're going and you continue to work, you can put that time in. It's just inevitably over time, it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. I, I that we want to have another kid next year, and so I see this this year as a chance. We have a window here where I actually do have an opportunity to have a go at something. And um, yeah, you've you, you've definitely got to. When I was younger and before life was a bit more complicated, you know, even when I was was training uh, the most that I was training, and and me and Maddie were really free with everything. We were able to just you know, I'll, maybe I'll do two extra appointments today because. You know, maybe I maybe I was so worried about training that I forgot to schedule someone appointment. I'm like, oh, just come in late. We'll just do that. Mm -hmm. That that stuff is no longer an option. Yeah. Um, but Maddie and I would just go out and get grilled after that because that's we could we knew what we could eat and it was just a simple thing we could do together. It would still bring us together. Now you can't. Everything needs to be much more rigid. Yeah. Um, but inside of that rigidity, it's given freedom where you're like, okay, yes. well now I I know what I, I this is my actual window. It has to happen in this side of this this window. Um, but yeah, you do have to pick your battles. There are times when, uh, definitely at the beginning, when we first opened the gym, because our, our daughter was born maybe a month before the gym opened. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, which was the strategic error. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the way it all went down. And um, and 
we just we were sleeping man like 20 minutes at a time it was crazy we had to hold here she was lactose intolerant so we when we didn't know that so breastfeeding was making her quite sick and so we were just up all night i was rocking her and there's some photos of me back then and i just look like sick i look super sick and maddie maddie too um just we weren't sleeping we weren't eating we weren't able to train and that at that point i think it took me a little while coming into having a little one i I didn't have an expectation. Yeah. I didn't form a proper expectation. I was like, oh, we'll just, whatever will be, will be. We'll be quite flexible with it. But I think I should have aimed more towards it's going to be super hard and yeah. like really talk to people about what that might be like instead of yeah. being like, oh, it'll be okay. I'll just, we'll, yeah, we'll get through. Because what in reality what happened was I kind of held an expectation that I'd be able to maintain this side of my life where I'd be able to work and you know, I would never have to cancel an appointment if we were having a crazy day with the baby, but that did happen. I had to cancel people and had to go home because we needed, Maddie needed help because Millie was just straight up not not doing anything. Or she needed some Panadol and I needed to go get that. Or she had a fever and I had to take her into hospital one time. And I didn't hold it in my mind that those flexibilities might be something I would need to have. Training, yeah. I kind of, in a way, I was like, yeah, I'll keep training. Sure. But No. Maybe if I had said to myself, you can train three times a week for 45 minutes at a time. Yeah. But instead I was like, I'll just maintain, I'll just do a program. It'll just be, I'll just get it done. It'll, it'll work its way out, but it, but it doesn't. Um, Because like you said, at that phase of life, there wasn't, there wasn't flexibility at all. Mm -hmm. uh, So, but it it took me a little while, longer than I'm proud of to learn that actually you need to back off of things and Mm -hmm. be hard on this right now. And um and that brought so much peace that we were then able to create a structure and then start claw- clawing back little things that we that we need for our own selves, including, you know, going on a date night and um, we both go to the gym and Maddie, you know, can actually come into to work and be there and do some of the stuff that she needs to do rather than just work from home all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, having a proper expectation was was a, was a mistake of mine. I, I, I really <laughs> thought I didn't plan it. I didn't know what kids were like. I'd never been exposed to babies too much. And yeah. so oh, we'll just, we'll just get through. But um, just getting through looks like not doing heaps of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wasn't ready to accept that. So that created a bit of a, uh, something that we won't repeat the next time is to have yeah. a realistic expectation so we can still hit those tiny little things you need to do to maintain your own, you know, mental and physical health at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like that, that, it's something that you can't really comprehend until you do it, I guess. But where that that rigidity would have been useful is knowing like, okay, this is our schedule and this is our time slots and this is where things have to happen. Um, you know, I have this window between clients or maybe you don't take one extra client three times a week. So you have that hour to go training session, training session, training session, 10 minute shower, get ready for my next client to come in. Those things where having that rigidity would have given you that disciplined freedom. And, you know, where you've probably got away with in the past from not having a family and a business to, or a second business to run. You've had that more loose, I guess. It's almost like it's just panned out. Like it's, it's luckily it's, it's, it's well panned out because you've had that freedom. And now you, you, it's almost like you'll perform better and you'll get to that, like that, even that next level, because you'll realize how much more important that rigidity of structure and schedule is. And you'll realize, well, I actually have 45 minutes in these windows only. So, I'm not on my phone. I'm not going to talk during my training sessions. I'm not going to have time to fuck around with clients. It happens. They're in. I'm out. I get that training window. That's it. I might have my nine clients a day. 
anything less than that or anything more than that is too much. You've got to watch the kids, got to go home, take care of the family, make sure the gym's operating. You're now creating that, that, I guess, essence of freedom out of the discipline of having it so rigid. And I think that's exactly it, man. That, that rings so true for us, you know, even down to little things. Like if I used to uh, cook, cook my dinner, I want like a fresh dinner every night. Yeah. We live in a tiny apartment and the smoke alarm might go off and it has, and sometimes it wakes her up if I cook dinner at nighttime. So I was kind of just like, I was at at nighttime. I'd be like, Oh man, I can't cook. I'll just have wheat bix with protein milk in it. Yeah. And that sucked and it wasn't what I needed to eat. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of constantly having these shitty dinners and not feeling good about it. And then I was like, oh, or just like accept that you can't cook it then and just make it and microwave it and do it that way. Yeah. And so, but again, it took me a little while to like wake up to the fact that, no, 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 this isn't changing. Like mm-hmm. that she always is going to be, we're going to be trying to put her down at that time. The smoke alarm's always going to potentially go off. Yeah. yeah. Stop trying to like force the old way of doing things. It just isn't the way it is. And um, once I got around that and... I I feel so much better now. Uh, it came quite easily to my wife. She really understands this stuff. But I, yeah, I think because she's got a little bit more experience with kids, she used to run the daycare. Ah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But but I just really didn't know. Maybe it'll just stop being like this soon, you know? <laughs> but I mean, like, I guess, like, in a sense, you've managed to get yourself that, well, I guess, like you say, you know, you know by the end of the year now, there's going to be a few meets you sign up for. So, yeah. Now you've had that chance to set yourself up, get that discipline in, get that freedom set up, get that structure in place. You know that you can now progress in the future. You're going to get to that chance to be you know, on the platform again and still run your business and a second business. And you're going to look at a, a second child. Like that's all the things that you love to do now. And you're going to be able to do them. Like that's a, that's not a small feat in the level that you're at. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, it's 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 like we talk about having a, a second one, especially it's like a, a daunting thing. But we really want to have our daughter to have a sibling, and yeah. Um, but yeah, with that with that rigidity has definitely come possibility of future expansion. Which at the beginning, in the middle of like the everything that was crazy, you just you're like, man, how are we going to get back yeah. to the old ways? And I I've really realized that I used to rely on the, the ability just to be like, oh, I'm happy to I'm happy to train it till 11 because I can, you know, mm-hmm. but that's um, just not how it is with a little kid. You've, you, um, that's a young person's way of thinking who doesn't have mm-hmm. kids and it's a hard work mentality for sure, yeah. but hard work doesn't get you through when it's not about you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, rigidity and, and coming down to working off of her schedule and figuring out how that's going to work for us. Like we, we work around her new, her new schedule, whatever that might be at the time. Yeah, I am. It's a big shift for me because I always did operate off of. I'm just like a really hard worker, and I really love training. So I'll just stay late. I'll just do it when it's after hours, and that's my way of plastering over most organizational issues in my life. But that's yeah, not how it is anymore. Now it's like you can't plaster over things. You need to get things done when they need to get done. But I guess in a crazy enough sense, like you know, sort of going back to how you said, you know, we when will this go back to being a bit more normal? I guess the exciting but also evolutionary fact is that it's not going to be the new yeah. normal for you guys now is that you're more disciplined, you're more structured and organized. Mads is probably loving that. Cause like Maddie's on time. He's on a point now. He's got it down to a T that's only going to get better and more demanding of you because you know, you, you open, let's say you do a second zero W or another axiom location, or, you know, the second child comes along that time restraint becomes even more and that demand for rigidity and structure becomes more important. 
especially if you want those other aspects of life to be just as fruitful and successful. So, you know, though it was, I guess it's every, every essence of development and progression is that you go through the fire to come out the other side better, right? Like you, Peterson talks about is like you walk, you know, people walk through hell in order to get to heaven, but most of the time they stop in hell because it's hard. It's like, well, why would you stop here when it's the hardest, when you know on the other side of that is where it's better. You become a better person from that struggle. So, you know, you've, you've set up now basically from this lack, I guess, of foresight is now the plan that won't happen again. That's a new level of you now that will never happen again. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think, Maybe you brought on at the beginning. Some people, when they have a little one, they 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 think, "Oh, this is it now," you know. Yeah. But but for me, it, it's not an option to be unorganized now. Yeah. I have to be, and I'm still, you know, it's it's it definitely is a thing for me. I, I learning how to manage my time and stuff, and not having that reaction of I'll just do extra because yeah. I can. It's just me. It's my time, and I don't mind. It's all good. Yeah. Um, that not being a potential solution anymore, it has been super challenging because it's the way I've lived my life. Um. But I'm super grateful that that's been my reaction to the new the new forever life that we now have, mm-hmm. rather than like being pissed off about it and yeah. just wishing it would go back. It's just not. And like yeah. we laugh about that all the time. Like it's just never gonna yeah. go back to the way it was. Um, but I am really happy and I'm super proud, honestly, that that's been yeah. My reaction is okay. Get better. Like you can do this as well. Yeah. But you've got to. That has costs which is which is actually a happy cost to pay like i'm grateful yeah. not to be that like that anymore because it's pretty draining to always just say oh yeah I'll, I'll just do that extra thing now yeah, because, yeah because i fucked up um now that can't happen so you just got to get it right and it feels good yeah it becomes one of those points i guess and uh, like when we see in the 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 high succeeding you know the ceo the elite athlete kind of thing High conscientiousness is a very important trait. Like it's a very, it's a very, I guess, leads to success personality trait. And we know in the research, like not all personalities fixed. There is a point in time where you can develop things over time, and certain personality traits succeed. It's almost like exposing yourself to these situations is making that personality trait have to come up. Like I know I can be structured. I know I can be rigid. I know I can stick to a plan or a program. So this schedule is no different to that. It's just a program yeah. that I have to abide by and continually progress to get better at. And now I've all of a sudden got more time and I'm more organized and structured and this will lead to better expansion in the future i can now include my lifts and get better at my training and i can grow zero w i can you know look for a second location whatever it may be that that exposure to such hardship if you will is enabling you to get better and it's going to force those better qualities out of you and now all of a sudden you don't have the time for the shitty ones not so much shitty ones but you don't have time for that old matt who would have been a bit more flaky and free and, and loose with things now the it's almost like the power lift of Matt, who's like every number has to be hit, every session has to be done. It's now also in your personal life where every Man, I loved lift. I love lifting. It's easy for me to stick to those things when I when I have a target and a goal because I I just fucking love that life. Mm-hmm. There was never enough motivation for me to get organized with other stuff because there was yeah. there wasn't something appropriately weighted, you know, something on the other side. And now I've got this little girl that I want to spend time with, and I want mm-hmm. her to be happy and you know to. To feel, I wanted to see that I'm that I'm working hard and achieving things, and we've got a great relationship together, and our house is a nice home, and it's not crazy messy all the time, and representative of this like internal stress, you know. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's been that's been the the motivation required for some probably much needed personality shifting. Um, but it, it was always going to take something like that. And I, but I am really grateful that she's been that for me because a part of me was like, oh, am I just beyond redemption with this? Because I have only ever shown that kind of diligence with with one thing or two things really with with Axiom as well. I'm just happy to happy to go at it and learn because I'm super interested. I love it. Yeah. I'm really fixated on on getting better at that and getting better at lifting. But most other things I'm I've always been a little bit um just not nowhere near as as regimented. Nowhere near. Yeah. There was never enough uh, drive. Um but yeah, she's definitely made real life normal life and becoming more procedural about things, something that I'm very motivated to do and I'm which is which is having awesome impacts on actually everything. So it's it's been good. She's actually been a driver of like even more. Um, some of the stuff we've been able to achieve since she's been born has been awesome. So yeah, it's, having having kid is tough, but um, it can be something that's really super positive as well. Yeah. It, on on things that you would expect to suffer, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a really good like uh, final question to wrap up on because I know, well, you know, you guys are busy. Is where you are with your training, where you are the business, where you are the family. I, I don't see you as a father, nor do I see Mads as a mother who will stagnate, stay, slow down, stay still. Like you guys are always continuing to seek to grow and develop. And you know, I see Zero W growing. I see Axiom always busy. What piece of advice, I guess, from you know your high level of powerlifting, running two businesses, now being a father, what's the, I guess, biggest piece of advice you would get to anyone listening who is down in that realm of, I'm about to have a family, but I want to continue my training or I still want to take care of myself. I want to succeed and push further, um, you know, but it's sort of the taboo that you have to give those things up to be a father or a parent. What's the biggest piece of advice you've got there? Oh, man. Um, it's so easy just to speak to the lesson that I had to learn with this, um, which is have really, really every kid's different and you've got to lower your expectation around what they're going to need. Um or raise your expectation around what they're going to need and, and you've got to put them first and you think you're doing that but you've you've got to do it before they arrive and be willing to willing to say this phase for now it the first you know they call it the fourth trimester the first three or four months after the baby's born it's a whole other thing especially for the mum like the, the the kid can't survive they should still be in the womb but it would kill yeah. the mum to be there so they're still completely needing you know you guys and so being there for mom and um, just having minimum standards, really understand that, okay, if I get three 30-minute sessions in, that's going to even just maintain me so I can keep some momentum because I didn't do that. And then I had to build myself back up. I had to start walking again. And, you know, in terms of training, I had to really build back into it. There was no slow jog that I was able to maintain. I was yeah. fully stopped. I did not train for yeah. months and months. Uh, we didn't eat. So I think, yeah, just taking care of those minimums for yourself at the beginning and and um, because you can build on that momentum, but trying to find it again is really hard. So I really like what you said earlier. I think it's a really good piece of advice is just be aware that there's phases of things mm -hmm. and that the time will come when you can push for that again, but you need to be ready, have everything, have all, all your baggage packed for that when it comes because it will arrive and you'll be ready to, to go hard again, but you don't want to be unprepared for that when it comes. So um, yeah, life comes in phases and just kind of embrace that and be ready for, for what's coming up. I guess, in, I guess in essence, if we put it in like training terms, 
we know that the maintenance volume required for trained muscle is not a lot. Yes. And if I guess you pull it back to that in that sense of like, you know, during this period, instead of being, uh, you know, 100% powerlifter, 0% father, I'm at maintenance volume for powerlifting. I've got to give that energy now to, you know, to fatherhood, to being a parent. Yep. And that's a perfect way to kind of look at it that obviously we know that if we don't train at all, muscle will atrophy and strength will go away. We lose what we don't use. But if you at least find that maintenance volume of, you know, three sessions a week, six sets per muscle group tops, superset some shit and get in and get out, do something that will hold what you've got. It makes shifting gears from second to third so much easier than going from neutral to now going to take off. Dude, 100%. 100%. Um, I'm going to maybe listen to this podcast again in like, you know, a year <laughs> when this baby's coming around. <laughs> and I'll, I'll try and keep this in my head because uh, I, I certainly didn't. I just thought to myself, yeah, I'll stick to that same program, which was like two-hour sessions. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Just totally ridiculous, dude. It, 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 to me now, if I have friends who are having kids, I'm like, hey, listen in right now. Don't fucking do <laughs> Shut this. the fuck up. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. Take a knee. 100%, man. Join FitStop or something. Just do. Let someone take care of everything for you. Yeah. Because you're not going to have the capacity to make decisions. You won't be your best self for a little while. So... Um, yeah, just do the minimum that you can at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, effective volume for life for that period of time and direct everything to, I guess like a really finishing point is, is I look at it as segments or domains of our life. I know we talked about that in that, that catch up we had, um, and it's something that I give a lot of my clients life has domains. And I guess a really easy way to put it, it might be for yourself. Well, for me, is a really easy example. It's bodybuilding. It's coaching, it's uni, it's basically those three things. That's pretty much my life. That's what I get to do. So at certain points of time, like I know that I need to go all in on uni and I'm at hold volume for training and I need to yep. dedicate all that time and energy there. Um, I know that when it comes to bodybuilding, like I'm in a prep phase, literally everything is at that. And these two things are, you know, I suspended my degree so that I could keep pushing this prep because I knew that it was going to require 150%. Business took a hold phase where I wasn't trying to draw in more clients because I couldn't take care of them. So that, that essence of knowing what domain has the priority and you can pull back the energy, I guess, on those other areas for a period of time so that it can be redirected somewhere else. We only have, if we look at it, 100%, right? We have 100% to offer an effort. You can't be at 100% in everything. And the more you try to do that, the less you perform at everything else. Yeah. So I guess like the easiest way to kind of put it is, you know, for yourself, where you might've had axiom zero powerlifting, you now also have father or parents or, you know, family given Maddie as well that period of time is I can't give a hundred percent to these two things. I've got to dedicate this here. So, you know, 10% here, 10% here, 10% here, this gets 70 because yep. that now keeps you whole. You're still doing all the things you love, but that domain has priority. It's not that these things get nothing. It's just that this domain takes priority for this period of time. When you've got structure in it like that, that you can really divide it into the percentages required. And I think that's something that you're a very unique person in that way where you're, you you really hold yourself to standards. And I think people in your team are like that too. You built that with them. And it really helped me to talk to you and have visual frameworks of that. Because if you don't have that, you know, for me, if I'm thinking about how my life was, you know, pre, pre-baby, it was like, okay, if I was to write it on paper, I'd be like, yep. So I'm putting, you know, 50% into training and 30% into family and what whatever's left into business. And actually what, what it was, was nothing like that. Like yeah, yeah. My my priorities looked nothing like that. I just would have said that because it felt like what would have been good. There's a lot of bullshit spent time mm-hmm. too, like stuff just wasted no, nothing time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's scrolling or 
just fucking around, just mm. mistakes that you make because you're not organized. And so I think, yeah, you just got to, you're actually capable of, you know, a lot, the whole 100% is a lot of time. It's really, mm. you're capable of so much if you just cut out bullshit. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have bullshit anymore, man. Like we don't even yeah. really watch TV anymore, basically at all, because we put the little one down, then we spend time catching up and then we go to sleep because you go to sleep fucking straight away because you never know what's going to be like <laughs> yeah. tonight. Yeah. And then you wake up, we've got this hectic morning routine and we love it. But, um, you know, dead time is not a thing. We don't yeah. really have much of that. And um, so we're capable of actually eff- effectively being good in uh, levels levels that we weren't even at before. Yeah. Because there was so much time being being just down the drain yeah and just it's forced us to become much more efficient um but yeah i love the quadrant stuff it's something that we've been kind of talking about a little bit is like you know in terms of making sure we're not for myself at least i'm taking care of my training now but i'm really conscious that i need maddie to also do that for her and to to be there for her to to encourage her to do that for her because she's so willing to you know put herself last as she's just a beautiful person but um yeah Mate, I mean, we could keep talking for hours, but we've both got so much to do and I appreciate your time because we have covered plenty and I know I've wanted to have this chat for a, a little while because you know, I see so many people getting to that point where family does come along and all of a sudden those goals get put on the back burner, which then get burnt out and they never end up, they fizzle out and never end up actually happening. But it's always like, the, oh, when the kid's of age and I'll get back into things and I'm, I'm like, oh, I see people that are doing both. All the people that I still talk to that are, you know, succeeding above me in positions have families and they're still doing the things they love. It's yep. just a matter of like, how do we make that happen and continue to succeed? For sure. Hey, I appreciate your time. I'll let you go. Thank you, sir. Um, just quickly, how do we find you? Uh, I know we've got Axiom, we've got Zero W. Where are they? How do we find you? Um, where, I mean, we're on Instagram. We're um, Axiom Forms Recovery on Instagram and Zero mm-hmm. Brisbane. Um, and... Yeah, that's us. I mean, me, I'm personally, I have my training log on, on Instagram, just Matt underscore stencil. Uh-huh. Um, you can look at all my, um, there's a lot of baby stuff there too. Cute little <laughs> photos of my daughter. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, man.